welcome back to Home Theater United. I'm Sam Poston, and tonight I have three of our favorite guests. John Rice, you want to say hi? Hey, everybody. Back again is the number one visitor is Todd Irwin. Hello. And back again is Josh Steinberg. So kicking things off. I'm sorry, I cut you off. (laughs) Sorry, okay, thanks for having me. I'm a professional, I swear, and I haven't been drinking. I'm sorry about that, Josh. So, no worries. (laughs) So, uh, in the meantime, one thing I wanted to kick off, and this may be a surprise to him, is uh, Todd has started his own podcast. Todd, you want to tell us a little bit about it and how that's going? Uh, So, yeah, just a uh, I guess four days ago, I launched uh, streaming my streaming news and views YouTube channel, and. I have eight subscribers already after four days. Okay. All right. Nice. Yay. And they're, and they're not even very good videos in my opinion. But, <laughs> no, uh, no they I were watch, dry. They're I, very, very dry. But I, by ne- my next couple episodes are going to be a lot more, I promise. Todd, we're our own worst critics, and I watched the first one. And it, it, it's like you know, the way I look at it, Todd, is it's like the superheroes. You got to start off with the origin story. And I think you've gotten that, and you got under got it under your feet, and you made the double leap to do video right away. So you have my extreme respect for that. Oh well, thank you. With my next couple episodes, you'll see why I wanted to do go with video instead sure. of just audio. And so, have the police shown up, Todd? The what? The police? The police? Yeah, the podcast police. No. The pod? No. No, no podcast police. Well, then you must be doing something right. Now, I'll, I'll we'll put in the show notes the the link to the podcast police. And so uh, they show up when when guys who shouldn't have a podcast start one up for no apparent reason. You must be doing oh, okay. you must be doing good work. I guess so. <laughs> well, tonight's episode um, was suggested by one of our attendees, and I'll let him say about it. But it it's going to be on underappreciated gems of movies, things that we like that we think deserve more attention and more acclaim. And, um, you know, deserve a bigger audience. So who, who came up with this one? That was me. Yeah, John. So you, yep. you've, you've brought a number of great ideas to the podcast, so I continue to thank you for that. Um, you just accept them. It's no, not what I, I'm used to. No, no, no. no. I, I think I've immediately said yes on pretty much all of the great suggestions that Home Theater Forum members have uh have suggested and we, we roll with it, man. It's some, I tell you what, um, you know, I took nine months off here and it, it's not easy to come up with, uh, new topics each time. And, um, I think when we do, we've come up with things that are unique and, you know, aren't what every, you know, home theater and movie review type site is doing. So I, I, I think we're on a good track here. So well, on my, my motivation is I, well, you know, I, a lot of the movies I watch, um, aren't, don't get much, don't get much, uh, cover. Yeah. And so I just have, there are so many movies I'd like to talk about. And, and even though people on Hope Theater Forum probably don't realize, cause I pretty much partic- only participate in the hardware areas, but my motivation it is movies and music. That's what brought me to audio. And that's why I want good, good audio is, and video is for the movies and music. Yeah, and I, 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 I definitely can appreciate that. And for somebody like me who, you know, was never intended to be a podcast creator or a host or anything like that, um, you know, I always felt like I had things to say and didn't really have an outlet for it. Um, 
And when Brian invited me to be a co-host, I, I kind of ran with it. I always felt like, you know, I, I can do this. I, I can talk about movies all day long, talk about good movies, bad movies, hidden gems. And, uh, you know, we, we can kind of riff on that. You know, maybe another show is bad movies that we love and what we love about them that, you know, other people just don't get. You know? Well, that I, I think that's what, one of the major things like, you know, there can be objectively just incredibly well-made movies that just leave you completely flat. Oh yeah. And other, other ones that are, I call them like ambitious failures or something. Oh, I like an ambitious failure over a just sort of perfectly, completely finely crafted movie uh, pretty much any time. So what was that Dudley Moore movie that, that was like, you know, had the enormous budget that, that, you know, fell flat. Does anybody remember the name of that one? It's always, Dudley Moore? Yeah. Oh, we're going to have to look that up. It was uh, some some kind of epic thing in the desert. Uh, we'll figure it out. But yeah, just... Think you're, thinking, you're talking about Ishtar? Ishtar, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's... that's Who is that? Mar, um, Warren Beatty and... Uh, and uh, oh, it's not um, Dudley Moore? Not Dudley Moore, it's... Uh, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin, Dustin Hoffman. Hoffman. I knew it was you. a short guy. <laughs> well, I hope both actors can forgive me. Well, all right. Anyway, we're we're on a great track here tonight. We've got uh, th- uh, four participants with three movies each. And John, since it was your topic, why don't you start with your first uh, with your first movie? Are we doing the Are we doing the movies you wouldn't believe we haven't seen? Oh yeah, let's do that first. John actually had a second great idea, and that was for us to jump in with uh, movies that nobody's going to believe we haven't seen. And if you guys remember, when we last had Todd Rice on, uh, he was incredibly upset, I mean, almost to physical violence, that I hadn't seen Casino Royale. And I've got another choice tonight, so don't don't freak out. It's almost as bad as that. And every time I see Todd, it's like, have you seen Casino Royale yet? And it's like, nope, been busy with my parents. And which uh, which one, the original or the? I haven't the, seen uh, either. Daniel Craig. No, either, either of them, okay. John. But he's incensed that I haven't seen the Daniel Craig one, and it gets worse because I've seen all of the other Daniel Craig Bond movies, and I love them and haven't seen the original. So Todd is right. I'm I'm a terrible person for not having seen Casino Royale, and I will fix it. I have the Bond. 50 set and the 49 set and probably the 48 before that um well and that one kind of sets up a major oh, yeah. remembering it kind of sets up a major sure plot line that goes through the entire series oh, yeah. and especially in uh in no time to die it's a huge yeah. plot element in oh that. of course and you know i just kind of rolled with it when i caught the second one i was like ah it'll be fine it's bond they're all standalone and no and so I, I did a little bit of Google and figured it out. Yeah, he's right. I mean, I, I got no excuse. So what's yours, John? We'll start there. Oh, the the one that nobody will believe. Uh, it's uh, Titanic. No, come on. I have, never, I have never seen Titanic. All right. Todd and Josh, do you believe this? Sure, why not? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the, only, hi- what, the, the, the highest third, grossing or second third, or third yeah. highest grossing movie of all time. Well, I guess there's a reason it's not the number one grossing movie of all right. time, John. You better get on that. Yeah, I better. <laughs> Johnny, it'll it'll, it'll uh, make speakers sound good. Yeah, and and there's no time like the present, right? Uh, who who just did our uh, Titanic review? Was it Neil for the new? Yeah, UHD? Neil said it yeah. looks fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and um, 
Yeah, so let's get on that. I, I will. Yeah, I will probably pick it up. Pick up the 4K. All right, Josh. We haven't heard much from you lately, so why don't you tell us yours? All right. Well, I'm ready for 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 the ration of shit that's coming my way, but <laughs> I have never seen the Goonies. Uh, hang on a second. Then. You son of a bitch. That is unacceptable, Josh. <laughs> Well, I promise it would live up mm. to it. So it was not a part of your childhood, and you haven't felt compelled to buy every single re-release the way that the, those that are my generation. I guess not. And and the thing is, I it, it's a fluke that I did because I had a very movie-oriented upbringing. We did movie night at my house. You know, every, every Friday when I was a little kid, we'd either go to the movies or rent something from the video store. So I, I genuinely have no idea how it escaped me. But mm. I didn't even know it was a thing for the longest time. Like, it just somehow completely passed me by. All right. Well, before Todd tells us his, I'm going to make... Um you know, a, a challenge slash demand that before any of us get back on uh, the next home theater United, that we all fix these tragic decisions. Is everybody agreed? Fine. <laughs> I'll think about it. All right, Todd, yes I'll, or no? I'll order it. I'll order it right now. All right, don't. Are you order. going to babysit so that I have two hours to watch it? Mm, well, <laughs> I mean, there there's, uh, you know, Plenty of educational material in Titanic for your children to... Yeah. No. What do you think, Todd? You in for the challenge? We haven't heard yours uh, yet. Well, the, the movie that I chose, I don't know. I'll have to try to find time for it. Uh, which is? The Godfather. Actually, any of the Godfather movies. You haven't seen any of the Godfathers? The greatest I, I, cinematic I achievement of our generation or any before? And you, and you guys are giving me grief about yeah. Titanic? You know, I think for The Godfather, that actually it's a really unique position because for years, Coppola was never happy with how the third one came out. Yeah. The studio made him rush to hit a release date, so it came out in theaters one way, and then they gave him more time to tinker with it home video, but with home video, but not enough time. And then they had like some weird restrictions on you have to do this and you do that. And then like two or three years ago, they were finally like, fuck it, man, whatever you want to do with it, just go and do it. <laughs> Well, and we I watched it, reviewed it, and it's by far a better version of the film than any of the ones that came before. And it, it sort of makes sense what he was trying to do with it in that he wasn't trying to make The Godfather Part 3, but that he was trying to make like a little epilogue checking in on like, what would it be like, you know, be an old person and have everything that we had seen happen in these earlier movies hmm. be something sitting on your shoulders in your conscience all your life. So Ooh. if you ever decide to go down that rabbit hole, Todd, you have this really unique opportunity to kind of see the version of the final film, the final version of it without having to see like the rough drafts that didn't work for a lot of audiences. So you might have a completely different perspective on that than the general status quo. Well, challenge accepted uh, or no, Todd? I've tried to watch. I've tried to watch The Godfather several times mm -hmm. and I have fallen asleep every single time. So. Have, have have you seen Once Upon a Time in America? Mm, haven't seen that either. Oh, man, I, something's wrong. I think we might have to take your credit card away, Todd. Not your credit, but your credit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Godfather put Once Upon a Time in America is going to put you into a freaking coma. Mm. Yeah. I, you know, that's amazing because it's, it's four hours long, and I put it on, and it and it's over. It, it's that is the type of movie, that four hours, I don't even move. Well, that's how you're going to feel about Titanic, Jeff. Yeah, I'm sure. 
Uh, no, huh? Yeah, I'm I'm sure it's fine, but I really doubt it's Once Upon a Time in America. Mm. Well, I, I mean that that is that's that movie. Well, I was Once Upon a Time on our way to. It. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I've seen all of Once Upon a Time in America. The check. Who who leads that? Um, De Niro, James Woods. That's not um, Palminteri, is it? So, sorry, Chaz Palminteri is he? Um, I don't think so. I mean, if he no, is, I think you're thinking it. Bronx Day. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Hmm. All right, I'm gonna have to watch that too, Todd. I'll uh, I'll I'll take the pledge with you on that because to be honest with you, none of that my my selection is nowhere in the uh, the. Uh, the lofty realms of the films nominated so far, even The Goonies, although it's kind of close to that, I have not seen either of The Addams Families. Neither have I. <laughs> Todd, Josh, have you seen The, the Addams Families? Yeah, you know, I, 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 think I, have. I, I think they're fun for what they are. I think Barry Sonnenfeld in the late 80s and early 90s, like, really kind of was shaping like what the pop culture version of subversive comedy between that and get shorty and stuff. So I, I, I mm-hmm. think it's of a time and I think gaining, if you like the vernacular of that time, if nineties comedies never made you laugh, I don't oh. know if it's going to do it for you. I but. mean, that's, that's like my entire thirties. Oh yeah. Twenties. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, probably, uh, probably should fit. All right. Well, that brings hey, us. So, so Sam, yeah. Sam, yeah, yeah. I did pull up uh, once upon a time in America up yeah. on IMDb. Yep. Uh, Sergio Leone directed. Right. And then you got De Niro, James Woods, Treat Williams, Burt Young, Tuesday Weld, Joe Pesci, Danny Aiello. Oh, Aiello was was who I was thinking, not Palminteri. And I'll tell you what, Jennifer Jennifer Conley's first role, she's, I don't know, 12 or something like that. And I tell you, if you didn't love Jennifer Conley already, you will after you see this. Okay. Well, she was just in the the latest Top Gun. Was that her? Yes. Yeah. So I didn't really get on the Jennifer Connelly Connelly bandwagon early, but I thought she was terrific. In the- well, she this was her first role, and it and she is. She, I mean, she almost steals the movie away from. She's not on the screen simultaneously with De Niro. It, the, the 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 movie covers maybe sixty years. So this oh, wow. is. During uh, during their adolescence, kind of young, early adolescence. I, I'm definitely on board for that. And I wanted to mention, I should have mentioned that before we got started with the show. You guys all sound great tonight. I don't know whether you've upgraded rooms or microphones, but but even you, Todd, where I know that you've worked hard on it. Everybody sounds terrific tonight to me. Well, I think I've got the same setup I had last time, so... Um, I, I bought a house. It's my first time being a homeowner, so the the iPad is the same, but I guess the rates are different. Okay, well, you should all start a podcast then. Just don't compete right. with me and Todd. I'm sure my wife would be very happy to be talking to strangers on the internet <laughs> and giving her a break for a couple of hours. Nice, nice. Okay, all right. So I am going to shake the order up a little bit. Todd, why don't you tell us your first uh, hidden gem? Okay, um, mine are kind of. Two of mine are kind of controversial, I think. Um, okay, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start off with Solo, a Star Wars. All right. Now, um, uh, why don't you tell us why you love it, and we'll tell you why you're wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I, I I don't exactly love it, but I think it got a bad rap. I think it's a better movie than people make it out to be. Um, I think a lot of people just didn't give it a chance. But I I mean I enjoyed it. I I 
I saw it in Orlando at um, the uh, Disney Springs AMC in uh, uh, Dolby Cinema with my longtime friend, uh, George Jacumas, uh, who is an old uh, filmmaking buddy of mine. He works over at Universal Studios, uh, works on the line cues, and um, he enjoyed it as well. So um, we, we all had a great time uh, just having a kind of just, you know, putting our brain on hold and having fun with it. Uh, do you, you know, think, I think the do you think the string of directors and just sort of the pre-release, just all the bad press had a huge part in why people just assumed it wasn't good? Well, it was the the troubled production I think that had a lot to do with it, but it also it came on the heels of Last Jedi, which is the most polarizing Star Wars film of all time, and it also came out just two weeks after avengers infinity war yeah and that's it's hard to top infinity i mean that was i mean what do they call it, it the greatest crossover in the history kind of deal it really killed it. yeah it was it was number one for several weeks and uh and disney was it at that time disney was was doing something really bizarre which always kind of bothered me to some extent as why some of their movies failed and some of the movies did really well is they were releasing movies too close together during that time um happened to them before with um finding dory and then they released spielberg's uh the bfg just like two weeks later and finding dory was the surprise hit it, it did a lot better than anyone had expected it to do so you know, kid parents were still taking their kids to see finding dory and skipping uh the bfg which was a much better film in my opinion yeah well, for, what for what it's worth i i told you this i i'd only seen it once i sat down and watched it last week and you're right. It's it's a pretty good movie. Um, I'm sure, you know, just sort of subconsciously, I didn't really give it a chance the first time I saw it. But I have just a couple small little gripes with it. But it, I, I think it's a, a good Star Wars movie. I, I agree. I, I thought it was a pretty enjoyable night at the movies, too. I, I think that the box office expectations and and the fact that they essentially spent the cost of two movies to make one, you know, is is kind of it puts the film in an unfair unfair position because it's got to make money for things that it's not responsible in a way. And and sort of the discourse became something completely separate than what was on screen. And it was fine. But I, I think that also part of the thing was that up until that point, there had been a scarcity of Star Wars for so long that even when they were making Star Wars movies, whether it was the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy, you got one every three years and that was it. And I just think that on the Disney end of things, no one really stopped to think about that a Star Wars movie or cycle that comes out once in a generation will get everybody to buy in. But if it's a regular feature, then it's going to start behaving like any other sort of franchise, science fiction or fantasy kind of movie where it, it just not everybody wants to put the work in or enjoy seeing that sort of thing regularly. I, I saw The Force Awakens with people that had never seen a Star Wars movie before and were never going to see a Star Wars movie again. But it was simply everybody was going to. So they went too. And if you release a Star Wars movie every year, that's great for Star Wars fans. But then you sort of realize that there's tiers. How many people are willing to pay to see this once a year? How many people to pay to see this you know, once every five years sort of thing. And it was just, it, it's like nobody thought of that. And and I don't know how it's possible that that was. Yeah, Star Wars fatigue was a real thing. And it started happening on Disney Plus too, where they were putting out shows, you know, every six months. And it was like, okay, let's uh, let's pace this a little. 
Who who knew? Still, right? I still I think I think Marvel has really been seeing how far that can get pushed. Yeah, and you know? and I don't think anything has measured up remotely close to what Endgame has. I mean, some of the some of the movies have been fine, but are they building to something that's going to culminate in another Endgame? I can't imagine seeing an event movie like that again in my life. Can you? I think yes, but I think it's also just not going to be what you expected because it's like it's it's always a moving target. So it's sort of they started making like those Marvels movies for fans of the comics, but also trying to. Kevin Feige had been a had been like a lower level production executive on the original X-Men movies at Fox. And he kind of had this idea of like, I know that there's more potential to all of this that they're not seeing, but they don't speak the language of comic books. So they don't know, they don't know what they're missing, you know? So it's sort of, I think we'll have another big event of some kind, but I think it's almost impossible to say what it is. Cause I mean, who would have said the Barbie movie was going to be the thing that everybody went in and saw a year ago, you know, nobody would have guessed sure. that. So I, I don't think, I think we're always going to have these big waves that draw everybody in. But I think when you try to get too clever about engineering them, it, it's, you know, if you have momentum, you can kind of play with it and build it. But I don't know that you can really blueprint it that well. You know, it's like you can't you, you can engineer the movies, but you can't engineer the audience behavior past a certain degree. All right. With that, I, I want to take a vote. Does does anybody disagree that um Solo is a better movie than than the the reaction that it got. It's definitely better. Agreed. Okay, Todd, you got a win there. Put one in your scoreboard. Yay. Yay! And 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 to be fair, I don't think everybody's seen all of the other movies. I I know I know I haven't. So, but for the the ones that we have seen, let's try to keep a tally there. What you got first? First, Josh. Um. First, well, um, John had said that he'd been talking about this one too, and I actually had time to revisit it last night. So let's start with uh, Sunshine. There are a few movies with that title, but I'm referring to the science fiction film directed by Danny Boyle, starring Killian Murphy, which came out in uh, 2007. It seemed kind of timely, given that uh, Killian Murphy made a whole lot of money this summer, a guy who made a bomb that <laughs> might have saved the world. And this is a movie about Killian Murphy as a guy who made a bomb that kind of could save the world. So <laughs> Okay. Uh, Fight yeah. casting. So I can't remember if I've seen this, and I'm remiss in not having seen it before. Is this the one where it kind of tape records your memories and things like that, or is that something different? No, that's something different. This is a movie about, um, it's set in the near future. I don't think they give an exact date. It mm -hmm. takes place entirely aboard on the spaceship, um, and their mission is that, that our sun is dying. Okay. And they figured out that if they build a big enough nuclear bomb, and ignite it in the middle of the sun, that that might restart the sun, which would allow life on Earth and everywhere else, and you know, or if there is life anywhere else in the solar system, to continue. So it was sort of a Hail Mary play for the safe. And it's, so it's a small enclosed movie with just a, a small cast, and it's, you know, about sort of they're on their way there. Um, it, it's been pretty uneventful so far. But the kind of thing hanging over their head was that they're the second mission attempting to do this because the first ship that mm -hmm. went out to do it um, kind of fell off radar when they got past Mercury and they never heard from them. So they didn't okay. know why that mission. And then as they're sort of on their way there, they sort of start picking up a signal from that old ship. So it becomes sort of this dilemma of continue on the mission to save life as we know it. Or do we go and try to find out what happened on the other ship? Because either what happened to them could happen to us, 
or maybe they have something that will be useful for our mission. Mm. So it's just everything that kind of unfolds after that is a dilemma that's, you know, that, 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 that's sort of approached in as serious as a scientific context as a fictional movie of this type can. Okay. John, so, Josh, okay. would you think, say, think it's fair to say that this movie just is not what anybody would expect it to be? Absolutely not. And that's why I ended up, um, I saw a trailer for it and I didn't see it in theaters, which was rare for me for a Danny Boyle movie. And then I think I, I wound up renting it shortly after it came out on DVD. And it was sort of like, holy shit, how, how did I miss this? This is what I want movies to be. Like, this one was made for me, and how, how did it just escape me? Okay, before you say anything further, John, Todd, have you seen this one? <laughs> uh, no, I have not seen it. Okay, so we've both got homework here. So so tell us why you like it so much, John. Oh, I, I've i seen it twice, and I'm I'm still really not sure I even understand it, to, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's great. I mean, and so is it that open ended, or you're not familiar enough with the science? Oh, it's not. No, it has nothing to do with science. Wouldn't you say, Josh? I mean, really, what the movie about is about? Yeah, I think it's 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 really interesting, and it's funny you mention that because I mentioned I moved and I'm unpacking all of my stuff, and I just found the uh, the screenplay, published screenplay, that's got an introduction by Alex Garland, who wrote it. Um, he now is a, a writer and director. He did uh, Ex Machina and Annihilation and Men this past summer. Um, so Alex Garland wrote it, Danny Boyle directed it. And the interesting thing is that in reading their prefaces of this published screenplay, I don't think either of them agrees what the movie's actually about. So there's sort of this unspoken mention, and I think neither of them are wrong in what they feel they put into it. It just kind of shows how a work of art can, can be more than one thing, or it can be saying two different things at the same time that sometimes might be contradictory and yet still true. And honestly, any anything Alex Garland is involved in is worth seeing. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think if this movie had come out after Ex Machina, or if it had come out sort of after Gravity and Interstellar kind of made realistic, plausible space travel, or at least semi-realistic, plausible space travel, fun in pop culture, it would have had a much different reaction, but it kind of came out at a time when space travel on screen was dead. There hadn't been, you know, Star Wars was over. Um, there hadn't been a Star Trek movie or TV show for years. Like it was just, there was sort of nothing that was playing in that sandbox. And I think it just sort of wasn't the right time for it. Well, and I think, you know, it, yes, it is tenuously, a, I mean, it's a sci-fi setting, but it's a Danny Boyle movie. You know, Danny Boyle is not going to do is not going to do, you know, pirates in space. It's, there's going to be something to it. Right. And I mean, I, I I think one of the not I mean, if you look at the cast, I'm pulling up the box here. Like if you look at the cast that's in this movie, you know, besides Killian Murphy, I mean, Chris Evans, Captain America is one of them there. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, Benedict Wong. I mean, it, it's it's all the people that are in it are incredible performers. And their characters each sort of represent a, a different point of view on how do we approach, you know, how do you many decisions when you're on a mission that if it succeeds, life continues. And if it fails, life as we know it, you know, is just done. I mean, so it's sort of the interpersonal relationships, the uh, the dilemmas, you know, if we have to should we make a left turn, should we make a right turn? How do you, how do you make a decision in that context? How do you? carry the weight of any of that you know how do you go on a mission that can't fail that could fail and i i just like toss in and mark strong is also in that he's probably one of those people who 
people oh yeah that guy they don't know his name but i i to me he's really one of the more underrated actors around all right he is he one of the um life on the street guys or one of those police dramas i, I swear i know that name from he has been in a lot of stuff yeah it's always supporting roles a lot of times he's kind of kind of a heavy um, he's British. Uh, if you, it's Mark Strong. If you look him up, I mean, he's he must have been in 150 movies. Okay, he's got like one of those faces that, depending on like you know, if you throw a hairpiece on him or if you throw a mustache on him, that it just he he ends up looking completely different and completely different with just a little bit of stylistic. Just so he really, almost like a Gary Oldman, can do a lot of things. And so it's like you see him and you don't. You, he's one of those that you don't know how many things. Cool. Before we move on, let me ask you both of you guys this. Have either of you seen either version of Solaris? Would it be comparable? I love both versions of Solaris. And I think if that's the kind of movie you like, um, that this is 100% belongs on on that shelf. Um, It may be a little bit more. There might be a little bit more of a coherent plot driving the narrative Mm -hmm. than that. But otherwise, you know, it. It, it, it's definitely of a kind with that with Solaris. I wondered if Solaris was the movie you were thinking of, Sam, that where it like plays your. I don't no, know if that no, really fits. no, no, okay. no. It was a that was a um, it was a, a, a near future on Earth for sure. I think yeah, it sounds like a Black Mirror app. Maybe it also. I I do like both the Solaris. I actually probably kind of prefer the Soderbergh one. I would agree. If I was to, compre- I was to take a choice. It, it, cool. That one just cuts, man. It's brutal. Yeah. Does would... Todd want to say anything? Josh and I are kind of monopolizing here. Well, I mean, we haven't seen it, so I'm just trying to pick your brains. But Todd, if you get any questions, jump in here. No real questions, but I mean, Mark Strong was in um, Shazam and um, oh, where are those movies? I drew a blank. Oh, well. Right, if you think of he, it, ha- we'll jump he, in. he has 117 mo- uh, okay. film credits here, so he's been in a he's been in a few things. Okay, cool. All right, while we're having technical difficulties here, I'm gonna jump in with my first one, which I thought would be a little bit more controversial on Home Theater Forum uh, when I did the latest review, and it's uh, the Miss. Uh, Todd and Josh, have either of you seen this one? The Miss. Are we talking the uh, Frank Darabont based on the Stephen King story? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I read, I read the uh, the story long before I saw the movie, but yeah. Okay, how about you, Todd? I think I may have seen it, but I'm not 100. percent Oh, if you, if you saw it, you'd remember the end. <laughs> it's got one of the most controversial endings of any movie I've seen. It's a great. That's a great. You know, that that's a great. Like in the vein of of Night of the Living Dead, but with a budget kind of sure. movie. Yeah, and and it's unusual for a King movie to, I I think that they really cut costs on it, but we're still able to capture, you know, all the human elements and then kind of go practical effects and, you know, uh, do do it relatively inexpensively, but with a great cast. Um, Todd, I'm assuming you've never read the novella that it's based on either. Uh, No, I don't. I've read some Stephen King, but I don't think I read that one. So again, not to give any spoilers away, but it, it, it is a brutal, brutal ending uh, to a kind of bottle episode kind of thing where you put people together who have competing interests and put them in a, a bad situation and, and, and see how their true selves come out. 
What did you like about it, Josh? Well, I, I think, like you said, that's just it, that it kind of puts a few people together. And I think, for me, the, the Stephen King, uh, Stephen King's kind of in my blood. It's he's my mom's favorite, so it was sort of inevitable that that's where my tastes were going to go. Um, and I ended up, um, during that recession we had in, like, 09, 10, I ended up getting caught up in that and being unemployed for a while. So I had plenty of time to catch up on my reading. So I basically read everything Stephen King had ever written in that year. Um, and then I tried to go and see some of the movies to patch up that. And I, having seen all that in such close proximity, what I realized I like about Stephen King um, is when he tends to do more of his King stories like the novellas rather than the big sprawling epic novels, which, I mean, he's still fantastic. Yep. But he does the small spaces so well. And I think that of all the movies, those are the ones, whether they're based on novels or novellas, that end up doing the intimacy of, of a small space and, and a single interaction. You know, that I think that's where sort of the tension and the horror is. And I think those have been the most successful adaptations. And certainly Frank Darabont, Shawshank Redemption, I yep. mean... Nobody and the Green Mile, nobody adapts King better. Yeah. So I, I, I was surprised that it, it flew under the radar the way it did or that it didn't do as well, because I think it does all of those things great. But I think, you know, maybe that's why, because it shows sort of an ugly side of of people, but in a way that you you recognize why people are making the choices they're doing. And if you don't necessarily think you would do that, you you, you know, somebody that would yeah <laughs> and you recognize that it's somebody that you like would do something like that you know and so it sort of puts you in this uncomfortable you, you find that you're sitting in judgment of yourself in a way that maybe you didn't expect to and i think maybe that makes it hard for yeah for me it's two things one i don't have kids of my own but like the road um and i, I think the road is very much of a piece with, with the miss um i think both of them are you know examples of what fathers would do to protect and keep their kids safe um or as safe as they can <laughs> i should say uh in in unthinkable circumstances you know nobody knows what they'll do in, until they're you know put up against the, you know the limit and um yeah, you know, a hunt a hunt i mean and I think there must be a lot of people out there in this world that have had like the similar experience that I did, which is I became a parent. And then six months later, a pandemic got dropped yeah. on my doorstep. So it's like all of a sudden, you know, you say things like I would do anything for my kids or there's no limit to what I would sacrifice. And and like that was my welcome to parenthood. And it was sort of every notion I had about, you know, and I didn't go and, you know, chasing people with a baseball bat or beating anybody up with a stick or anything like that. But I mean, just the <laughs> idea of what you're willing to sacrifice in your sense of self, you know, what things you're willing to put up with in life or, or willing to say, I'm going to take my needs or, or, you know, this part of me that I thought was irreplaceable and, and, you know, not transmutable and, and stick that to the side because there's something, there, there's a mission. There's something that's more important than me. I mean, it, it, it it really is indescribable. And I used to be annoyed when people would say things like that. Cause I'd be like, come on, that's not really possible. And then I wound up, you know, being a fan. And all of a sudden, oh, there are some you really just, you either experience it or you don't, but there's no other way to put it. Yeah. I hate that that's true, but it is. <laughs> and, and and it's universal, it seems, right? You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, but the, great, great, great movie, I think. The the other thing I'll, I'll say about it is, you know, King is obviously well known for his horror, but, you know, people forget that he, you know, he wrote Stand By Me and he wrote, you know, Green Mile and stuff like that. He knows people. And uh, 
you know, applying the right amount of pressure against good and bad people or, you know, normal people to see what their true selves are. And if anybody's interested in that, uh, the, the, the highest recommendation I can give is for them to read on King's On Writing. Because he is 100% real in that. And, he, you know, it's, it's his voice and he tells you why he made the decisions he did for a lot of his different books. And, you know, not that you can copy him, but you can learn from that. And as somebody who has always been kind of a, you know, a, you know, I wanted to be a storyteller as a kid. I wanted to be a filmmaker. I just found I didn't really have the talent for it or the, the ability to put in those 10,000 hours. But, you know, you, you know, it's, it's the, the hero with 10,000 faces and, and he puts it into just an absolutely brilliant amount of detail so that somebody like me who always wanted to do it but couldn't, you know, you, you get the feeling like, well, you know, really, if if I applied myself, and I'm not gonna, but if I did, I, I could, you know, forge my own path ahead there. Looks like we did lose John. Maybe he's resetting. So hopefully yeah, he I, I will definitely second that recommendation on that. It's a phenomenal book for all the reasons you stated. Cool. All right. Uh, who wants to go next while we're waiting on John? I'll go. All right, jump in, Todd. Okay, my second film, which is also probably a controversial choice, is the 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters, directed by Paul Feig. Mm, now, this one's one I've got uh, uh, something to say on, and uh, I have seen. How about you, Josh? I I have seen this one as well. I I can also I can also speak to this one a little bit. So why don't you talk about the controversy first of all, Todd? Why you think the controversy? doesn't stand up and what else you'd like well i mean i think you know pulling up my review i i mean i started my review basically it was never has a movie received so much hostility and hatred from the internet particularly from those who've never seen it. yeah i mean they were against this the, film they were against the idea of it right uh yeah and i mean it even prompted joel stein of time magazine to write an article how trolls are ruining the internet and um I mean, there were just some vicious things said about this film before it was even by people on on you know Twitter and other social media platforms. Um, and it's funny because even during some of the reshoots, they used some of those uh, remarks um, in the movie. Um, I forgot to write those down, but uh, there, there's a couple scenes where they're reading comments about them. Uh, but I mean. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a couple other movies that have, that have kind of received the same kind of treatment. Um, Captain Marvel and even the Marvels kind of comes to mind where there's just this hatred that comes out. But we didn't see it with Barbie, which is just so bizarre. Um, it's a dude thing. It's a dude thing. You know, I think that, you know, and, and most of these were <clears throat> people who are just they felt threatened that. um a, a beloved franchise from their childhood was gender swapped. Well, not only that, but you know, the, this whole, you ruined my childhood thing, this entitlement. I mean, that's just, I mean, the movie's not for you, dude, you go on, live your life and enjoy what you had. This takes nothing away from it. I don't, I don't understand. Right. We've sort of, we've sort of been sucked in weird thing as like a culture that everybody is, is has to offer an opinion on everything. And it's like, We've lost the space to have sort of like, it's just not my thing. I, I don't need to have a con. And I don't know exactly when that happened, but I don't think it's necessarily doing any of us any good that everybody has to have an opinion on everything all the time. Yeah, and the, the bummer of it is that objectively, <coughs> I'm sorry, 
objectively, it's a fun movie. It, it, yeah. I, I, I'm not necessarily the target audience, although they've leveraged, you know, the fandom of people like me. Go in with an open mind. It's not a bad movie in, in any sense. Of- no. I, I, I don't know if I should mention this, but what, what the hey, because I don't like to kind of trade off. But um, I have known Kate McKinnon um, since I was a kid. Um, we went to school together. And I mean, we haven't really been close in many years. But, um, you know, like we used to watch movies together. And we used to do theater together. And, you know, like not just me and her, but, you know, a whole group of us theater geeks. And we'd watch movies like Ghostbusters. And we, you know, some of us had proton packs. Nice. You know, like, like, you know, we all grew up like wanting to be a Ghostbuster. So it was like my friend from high school got to go and be a Ghostbuster. Like, how is that not the coolest thing ever? Like, I just, you know, it's hard for me to look at it with any sort of cynicism or animosity or anything because it's like you know that's the dream when you play with toys as a kid and and are doing imagine like you imagine yourself there and someone i know got to do that so it's like what could be cooler than that yeah and to live vicariously that that's amazing i had no idea and and like i agree with you i i think it's a good movie and if there are any shortcomings to the movie i I, it's it's well cast it's well performed i i think it's maybe the script could have been punched up a little bit better but that's on the writing not the female performers and you know it's the improvs were all good it it maybe could have been like i think the original movie come came in half an hour shorter and there's something to like that brevity when you're doing a comedy to to move from beat to beat a little bit faster and i think that's sort of a thing that i've had with paul fees in general that he could be a little bit slower on the pacing than i think is necessary sometimes but you know that's not a a gender issue that's not a you know that that's that's a pacing issue all right before i toss it back to todd uh john is back John, yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Can you hear me? Yeah. And so I think the movie actually kind of got retitled like either midway or after it was released. They now call it Answer the Call, right? Is that right, Todd? Um, yeah, it always had that title. And I think, but uh, Paul Feig says on the uh, commentary that um, he was never aware of that. That was something that was added at the last mm. minute and that he thought that they wanted to use that so that it wouldn't be considered ghostbusters 2016 gotcha so john do you have any thoughts on ghostbusters answer the call well actually i haven't so and i missed i missed i missed out on the the miss well i i was i have seen yours okay that i think that ship sailed so we'll go on okay todd anything to wrap up with uh with with ghostbusters i i think those of us that have seen it agree it's a um it's way better than the reputation it got. And while the internet is undefeated, the internet is wrong here. Yeah. Well, plus I think Chris Hemsworth steals every scene. He's Oh, a hundred percent as a completely dimwitted moron. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't see that one coming. All right. So, um, yeah. let's see, uh, who wants to go next? Jo- uh, Josh, have you done two? Should I try my first one? Oh, or? yeah, we didn't do your actual first one. Let's try oh, yeah, that again. Oh, yeah, let's get John in. Yeah. Do number two for me after that. Okay, jump in, yeah. John. Let's hope it, hope my internet keeps functioning here. Okay, so my first one, it's a, a 2016 movie called A Monster Calls, and it's uh, it's a literary, literary adaptation. It, it's about a, a preteen, pre-tween, tween-ish sort of 12, 13-year-old boy 
who's just kind of having cope with more adult things than he um, than he probably should have to. And so there's a strong fantasy element to it. Um, so you might think like a, a much less heavy, morbid sort of Pan's Labyrinth where this child kind of escapes into fantasy to help him cope with what's going on. Um, it's not a big main cast. It does have the Green Weaver. Um, oh, John, we're, we're losing you again. All right. Mm. All right. While, he, while we try to see if that settles, Todd or Josh, uh, have either of you seen this? I know I've seen the trailer. I have not seen it. I'm sorry. I, I missed that one as well. And it's, you know, as, as when John sent me his list of movies that he wanted to do, it was sort of the list of, oh, man, those are the ones that I keep meaning to get around to. Just the fact that he's talking about it makes it something automatically that I want to go and see. It's just I can never promise these days when it's going to happen. Mm. You know what it's making me think of is that uh, female lead with like the uh, the mental institution kind of thing. Does anybody know what I'm talking about where they have the, the big fight scenes and stuff like that? No, I'm on my own here. I'll figure out the name of it. Actually, now I now I think about it, I think I have seen it, but I don't remember it that well. All right. Well, while I look that up, John, you want to try to give us your elevator pitch on what you specifically like about it and would recommend to people? Sucker Punch? Is that what you're talking about? That's the one, yeah. Is there any any string between the two of them? Um, no. This, if I was to compare it, something it really went a lot more like like i said like pan's labyrinth but it's not it's a the challenges are a very personal thing it's not like the world falling apart like it is in pan's labyrinth um in any similarity to like where the wild things are in that kind of mental situation i i think especially visually yeah actually it probably has a lot probably owes a lot to where the wild Unfortunately, we're losing you again, John. All right. Um, can you try calling in on a phone or something? Yeah, I need a number. Um, th- well, if you put Skype on your uh, phone, just do... Um, I'm, I'm going to pause the show. I'll be here. You'll see me. Okay, great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like uh, Mr. John Rice is having internet... Um, um, difficulties and as I said the internet is undefeated and continues that streak tonight and I do apologize to John for we're going to push ahead without him um, and it's a real bummer because it was his concept and I know he's got some good ideas here <clears throat> but with that uh, Josh you want to tell us your second movie sure um, I have picking Alfred Hitchcock's Rope starring Jim Stewart from 1947 46 47 something like that Okay, I have I, either have either of you seen? Yeah, I I for sure have, uh, and I have seen like all of those um, the the big market Hitchcock ones. I haven't seen all of his lesser things as he was up and coming, but I've definitely seen Rope and Rear Window and uh, South uh, North by Northwest and a bunch of other Hitchcocks. There. How about you, Todd? Um, I saw Rope probably when I was um, late teens. Yeah, I'm going to say early teens. A long time teens. ago. Yeah, early teens for me, so 13, 14, 15, video store, VHS. I don't remember Cable. much about Cable it. Cable for me. Okay. So what do you like about it, Josh? I like, you know, it's a sort of film in that Hitchcock has dismissed it after it came out um, as being gimmicky because he had this idea. It was based on a stage play, so his idea was to try to shoot it 
not in once because the cameras at the time couldn't hold 90 sure. minutes worth of film, but they could shoot in about 10 minute increments without having to stop the camera. The Technicolor camera at that time was basically like the size of a freaking couch on wheels. So, I mean, mm-hmm. just moving it around, going from place to place and actually having an inventive thing for the camera to do because it doesn't look like it's just somebody stuck a camcorder in the back row of the play. It sort of makes you part of it and that it's it's a dialogue drill that actually plays out in real time. And I think we've seen that sort of thing become popular more recently. I mean, like uh, 24, for instance, was such a sure. huge hit for a long time. And other movies now, I think the digital cameras make that sort of shooting much more easier. So it, it's become a gimmick that's been used more frequently. But I I don't actually find the, the gimmicky. And uh, Jimmy Stewart said that he felt he was miscast in the role and in his role. And I don't find that to be the case either. I think it's a really interesting morality play of of sort of what happens. Two people have done something they shouldn't have done um, and then think that their intellectual prowess gives them the right to, um, mm. you know, the idea that there are, are people that are better than other people that have an actual right to trample upon other, you know, that there's some, you know, and I think everyone to some minor degree, and I, you know, who hasn't had that thought of, oh, I'm better than this person or, oh, you know, I get to do, you know, even though this is the rules, you know, it's OK when I do it sort of thing. I mean, I think we all to some at least tiny degree have done that in our lives. And this movie takes that to an extreme, um, but in a way that's I don't want to say seductive, but in a way that just sort of you enjoy what's happening at the same time, you're repulsed by it, and mm. it's it, it sort of you can't look away. Well, so it ends up being an indictment of the characters as much <laughs> as it does of you, the viewer. Well, we've certainly seen that writ large where we've got things like billionaires who just, you know, trample on anything because they're going to do it the way they want to do it. We've seen it in politics all over like that. Uh, but the, I, I I like what you're saying about the... Um, you know the, the 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 one take thing because it really does make a more intimate viewing thing and um you know I I've certainly seen my share of plays on the stage and um you know both from small productions high school uh, even been to Broadway a few times and there's there's nothing like it right it's it's uh um, you know again it's that kind of bottle thing it's you're holding everything here and it's gonna go right or it's gonna go completely off the rails. Um, and there's nothing you can do, nothing right. you can do to fix that. Uh, you're, you're stuck with the choices you've made and, you know, the characters that you've got, and you've got to tell that story and the story is yeah. the thing. And even if Jimmy's, you know, miscast, um, you know, the, the story's the thing, you know, would you yeah, think? And I, I think ahead. he's actually not, I think, I, I, I think, I, I think it was almost he's so good in it that he might not even know some of the things that he's doing in that as an actor that that sort of his instinct carries him. And I don't think he, you know, he can be right for the role and not understand why he was right for the role. And both things be true at the same time. No, I, I definitely agree. And, I, and you know, I, I have favored actors and, I, and actresses and love the mannerisms that, you know, that they take for granted. But, the, you know, the, those little tweaks, the things that are almost you know, too natural for them to be cognizant of that. That's what makes them endearing to me. Okay. What would you think of rope? Do you remember anything about it? Well, I was really young when I saw it. So, you know, I, I, uh, I mean, from a technical standpoint for the time, 
that it was made. I think it's it's an interesting concept. Um, the most recent one that comes to mind that was kind of done the same way was 1917. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By Sam Mendes. Yeah. I still have to uh, see that. Oh, no. You haven't seen 1917? Let's <laughs> go back to our first segment. Oh, man. Okay. Um, I, I don't really rank it as one of Hitchcock's better films. Okay. I, I you know it, it's not it's not North by Northwest. It's not you know it doesn't have the suspense of of, of that of North by which North by Northwest is I think is my Hitchcock film. Um, not but, I mean, it doesn't have the tension or the or or the humor of of North by Northwest or Rear Window. Mm-hmm. But um, it's still a technical marvel. I think. Yeah. The other done in real time thing is the Jason Statham. Thing with the uh, the guy that's gonna die if Frank. he doesn't crank crank yeah, crank, yeah. <laughs> this is a little I, I, better the sequel than crank. was even worse yeah I showed I showed rope to my wife and then she said okay as long as we're watching movies in real time you should see this movie called crank so that was actually a real <laughs> trade that happened and I'll tell you what I loved it for all of its ridiculous over mm-hmm. the top excess I was perfectly entertained my yep. enjoyment of it was pure for 90 minutes but but it's it's not highbrow by any sense of the term <laughs> yeah john are you there did did you have any thoughts on this one it depends on if you can hear me <laughs> yep you're good you're good let's try it um well of course i haven't seen Rose, so okay i can't i can't really say much about it okay have you seen so crank <laughs> i yes Crank is a blast. Good. I'm glad I'm not alone. It's yeah. a total blast. I've yeah. got it on Blu-ray. Okay. All right. Well, uh, John, while we've got you here, um, you want want to try again? Let's try movie number two. Okay. okay. Um, let's hope it holds in. Well, I, I've talked about how, how I like adaptations of Nicholas Sparks novels. Another thing I like is young adult novels. Who would have guessed? Sorry? Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? So this is uh, an adaptation of a novel by John Green, um, Paper Towns. And it's, uh, well, it's about this guy, this kind of, this kind of, you know, lovable geek who's, who's chasing after this girl. He's been played by Cara Delevingne, who he's been in love with his whole life. And, um, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't want to, I don't want to bust on the, the guy who, reviewed it on home theater for him but i loved his line that it doesn't hold much value for anybody of drinking age (laughs) and i can say without a doubt that i probably get 10 times as much out of this movie at the at the ripe young age of age of 59 than i would have when i was you know when i was in high school which where it's set and to me a big thing is just different people play different roles in their life and it's not always, you know, a lot of times it's not the role you think you think they will play or you want them to play. And um, I love this movie. <laughs> what oh. can I say? Well, that's, that's um, high endorsement. Yeah, I love it. And I don't care that it's flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's again, it's not finely crafted, but it's just a very heartwarming story. And there's this scene, the sequence, probably 15 minute sequence late in the movie. It's one of those movies where you're going on, you're going through almost the whole movie. You think it's about this. And then right as it's coming kind of into the last 15 or 20 minutes, you find out that, no, it's about this other thing. 
Well, that, that's but, crazy. I, I will note that not only have I not seen this, but I've never heard of it before. How about you, Todd or uh, Josh? It's based uh, on the, for me. Oh, it's sorry, based Josh. on the John Green novel, right? Yes. Yeah, I, I know I, I know of it. Um, the Fault in Our Stars. I, I, I read that book and then saw the movie, but um, I never got to Paper Towns. But I'm I'm familiar with sort of the vibe that he goes for, and I think like The Fault in Our Stars was was remarkably moving. And you know, I'm nothing like anyone that's in that book, but you know, it, it just goes to show that. There, there's something universal in the specific, which which seems contradictory, but it's it's if you can paint a feeling and describe it accurately, I, I think it can be empathized with and I think it can move someone. Well, and like probably part of it is that there is a sequence late in, in the movie that um, it's kind of surprisingly it didn't occur to me until the last time I watched it that it it parallels kind of a, a, a day in my life. And it never occurred to me that that might be, um, I'll just say it takes place in a, in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere. And it, it, so maybe that's part of it, but I don't think that's a big part of it. Again, for me, it was learning, you know, accepting the role people have in our life, rather the role they're supposed to have rather than the role we want them to have. And I think that's really the main theme of this movie. Cool. Todd, it's a Todd have you seen thing. it? Beautiful thing. It's wonderful. And I this this probably 15 minute scene towards the end um it, it really one of my favorite kind of segment in any movie I've seen. I I sometimes I just pop the disc in and watch like that 15 minutes. And it, well, if you see the movie you'll see you'll see what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Todd, have you seen it? No, I have not. Okay, so John, let me ask you this: Did was this movie before or after *Fault in Our Stars*? And is that how you found it, or did you know this author? Um, this came out after *A Fault in Our Stars*, and I, I like it a lot more than *A Fault in Our Stars*. It, I find it doesn't. This is more cathartic and less just like ripping at the heartstrings, mm, okay. <laughs> which you have to admit, the fault, uh, fault in our stars does that. Sure, I, I've only seen the trailer of that, but I know it was a, um, you know, a, a more well-known movie. Than oh yeah, it definitely was more popular, and I think the first time I saw, I'm not sure how I came across this. It probably because I do like adaptations of young adult novels, and not just the the dystopian i mean I, you know i love the hunger games i, I like <laughs> i like i like divergent i like these but but i also like the more the more meaning of life ones and i think and something that's valuable about that people tend to just kind of shrug them off oh it's about teenagers but it's about a time in your life when you think you can do anything and you plan to do anything and everything and, you know, there's nothing but um, hopefulness and, you know, ambition. And, you know, sometimes, <laughs> well, with most people, it, things don't quite go that way. And so it's kind of like, it's kind of nice to revisit. Is there kind of a thing where, you know, life knocks you off your horse uh, from what you thought it was going to be? Or is, is it more subtle than that? Oh, no, we lost him again. Bummer. Yeah, but he's got me Googling the movie. And yeah, thinking, me can too. I, when can I fit oh, this no, in? I'm, so, I'm gonna, know, he, so I'm, he sold it. Oh, he 100%. I, I'm going to watch all of these. So, well, we will come back to that question. I, I really love that he was saying there about catharsis, because I think that's like one of the most 
in a way that that's what I go to art and, and movies for. And it's like one of the hardest to actually nail. So anything that can actually do that really well is something I'm interested in. Yep, for sure. Okay, so we will we'll go with the lighter of my other two. Uh, Inside Man uh, with uh, Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, and Jodie Foster. You guys both seen this one? Oh, yeah. I, I saw, yeah, I remember where I was when I saw <laughs> um, What was that? Oh, I mean, it was just the local theater, but it was just like in that time, you know, you have those years in your life where it's just you remember everything. And, and it seems, I don't know, that sort of like, that period in your like tw- like late 20s where it's sort of like it's all locked and you remember where you were and things still seemed important in a way that maybe you can't recapture when sure. you get out of that. But, yeah, I, I remember going to the theater and seeing that and, and having having a blast. Yeah, I, I, I think a blast is, is a, a great word. For... <laughs> <laughs> I just realized what I did there. <laughs> Have you seen it, Todd? Oh, yeah, I, I, I saw it and uh, saw it in a theater and with my wife, who was surprised that uh, she actually enjoyed a movie directed by Spike Lee. Yeah. So that's one of the things that I w- want to talk about. But w- what else did you like about it? Well, she she well, she wanted to see it because she loves Clive Owen. Oh, who doesn't? Yeah. And um, who should have been the next Bond? But um, hadn't thought about him. Uh, well, all his uh, all the movies he did for. Um, BMW, the short films. Um, I don't think I've seen candidate. Uh, the higher you can get them. You can watch those on YouTube. Um, but yeah, no, I know it had me guessing as to what was going on throughout the whole movie. I, th- I thought it was just well crafted and lots of twists and not really sure where it was going. Yeah, I think it's got one of the best sets of misdirections of any film. I, I love that. And I, I love I mean, I'm I, I like cerebral movies, but I like things that keep me on on my toes. For sure. I, I'll tell you the the first two things. I, I went into it, had no idea it was a Spike Lee movie. I love Spike Lee. I, I love, you know, I've seen most of his things. It just arrived on scene without me having seen a trailer, did any previews. Uh, credits roll up, and it's like a, a bombastic Indian song. I think it's Chaya Chaya, if I remember right. Uh, I'd have to look that up. But what a great absolute opening thing that has absolutely nothing to do with the rest of the movie. You're like, what? Why is Spike Lee using a, you know, like a Bollywood opening here that features that the city itself as a character? And I, I thought that was amazing. Clive Owen is up front with you, telling you what he's gonna do through the movie. He's being a narrator, and. St- even with that, you're still surprised at what happens. Uh, Jodie Foster, I thought that that was... I mean, I don't follow her career, but I really felt like she became an adult... Not an adult star, but an adult actor in that movie. That somebody who had gravitas and somebody who had seen shit go down previously. And... Um, I thought everybody involved with it on on both sides of the conflict, uh, inside and out, uh, were, were terrific. Um, and that's all I got to say about it. I don't know if either of you guys want to add anything else. I think the term you were looking for was matured as an ex. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, right? And um, you know, just exudes self confidence, right? And, and obviously, that's her character. But I think as an actress, she really understood that character. She had been through so much on, on her personal level and had you know had done 40 years worth of movies um 
you know, Little Man Tate and stuff like that, where she, you know, had a tremendous acclaim. But I don't think I don't think any of them fit her as well as, as this one. I, I when I think of Inside Man, you, I want to talk about like you and Spike Lee. Yeah, and like I love Spike Lee, the filmmaker. He has a very usually has a very kind of specific aesthetic and specific type of movie that he makes. Yeah, um, he tends to make a lot of message movies where he's not necessarily subtle in the message that he's trying to convey nor should he be required to but you know it's like when you spikely movie there's no mystery about your watching so i always find it really interesting when you see a filmmaker like spikely doing a film that didn't have to be a spikely movie and and seeing him use all of his gifts and all of his skills in a way that we're not using him do that to see him make something that's you know, first and foremost, the piece of enter and doing it with gusto. Yeah. And then because he's so good at that, then he can start to slip in ideas that a film like that normally wouldn't carry. Yeah. And you don't even notice he's doing it half the time. Yep. So, I mean, it's really interesting to see these filmmakers. I mean, imagine if someone like, I mean, to opposite end of the spectrum, but like, imagine if Wes Anderson made a movie that you didn't immediately go, that's a Wes Anderson. Right. Movie. Yeah, yeah. To a, to a limited extent, that's how I fe- felt about Kevin Smith making Cop Out, right? Right, right, yes. You know? Yeah, so, yeah, I get what you're saying there. Todd, anything else to add? Not really, although I think it's Spike Lee's most accessible movie for, oh, for, for a sure. general audience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think of it as Spike Lee doing a studio movie rather than the studio bring, you know, rather than Spike Lee applying a studio aesthetic to you know, the typical Spike Lee joint, as he calls them, you know? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Well, and I, hopefully you can hear me. Yep. I, You're good. I saw it years ago. I can't really say that I remember it. Um, I just point out, when it comes to Spike Lee, I'm a huge fan of 25th Hour. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Give it a shot. Oh, Give it a shot. You're going to love that, man. Oh, maybe maybe I have. Who, who's in that? Edward Norton. Edward Norton. Yeah. Hmm. Brian, Brian Cox, um, Rosario Dawson, um, Barry Pepper. That's kind of Philip Seymour Hoffman and uh, and Anna Paquin. That's kind of the the main cast. All right, added added it, and we'll put the the trailer in the show notes. John, we got you back. Um, we we had a question for you. Um, okay. Does anybody remember the question? <laughs> <laughs> I'm um, listening the whole while. It's just sometimes my upload speed just stops. So I yeah. can still hear you. You just can't hear me. Yeah. Oh, boy. We we may have to put it in the show notes for you to answer. Okay. Because I had it on the tip of my tongue, and I thought it was a good question. <laughs> now I don't remember what it was. I Can I jump back to the mist just for a sure. second? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I because I watched that, I don't know, last week. Hadn't seen it in quite a few years. And I... I did not remember how just unbelievably hardcore that movie is. Oh yeah, and it do, it doesn't lead you to believe that that's the the path that they're going to go down until it does. No, and it, it you know it's very um, it's very Lord of the Flies, and what I if you're familiar with Lord of the Flies, yes, um, yeah, yeah. And what I this last time I watched it, what I, what I came away thinking was, you know, what Stephen King's saying is here. No matter what just raging pile of shit comes down to destroy destroy us, ultimately the, the biggest threat to the human race is probably going to be the human race. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, uh, he he gets a lot from Lovecraft, right? And so I, you know, we obviously can't talk too much about religion here, but I I think the mist very uh, wears its anti-religion on its sleeve. Uh, but also from Lovecraft, it gets you know the the whole universe is uncaring and doesn't give a damn whether we or you know the human race or any individual lives or dies. In. Right, and, just kind of that whole surreal, hellish yep. kind of this could be out. You know, what if this was out there? Right, nihilism. Right, I guess so. Yeah, John, you want to try to pick up one of your movies while you're back? All right, let's hope this goes. So my next one is, uh, actually, this one is also written by Alex Garland. It's called Never Let Me Go. And it's from, I don't know, 2010. And I understand, you know, I've a common comment that people have said, that was an excellent movie. I never want to see it again. And I think there's a line early in the movie that says, um, you know, but who would make up stories as horrible as that? And I understand this is one of those movies that the less you know going in, in fact, it's best if you know nothing other than it's a very hard sci-fi alternate reality. But it's a type of science fiction where you don't see technology, you see the result of it. It is an alternate reality because it starts in the 70s and then probably, you know, ends around 2000. But in... All it says at the, at the, and I think all that people should know is at the beginning, it says that at some point in the 50s, there's a technical advancement that allows people to live 100 years. And then we start learning what this, inva- what this advancement is, the people who benefit, the people who pay. Um, and it's a, it's a very, it's a beautiful movie, but it is a very, very hard movie. Um, maybe a little bit like, like The Mist or um, a lot like your last movie. So, which I can't go into yet, but, you know, the things people will do to others for their own benefit. Sorry, I had myself on mute. Um, so oh. I, I'm trying to trying to think of the the movie that I reviewed that I thought was amazing, but I never want to see it again. Uh, so I'm gonna pass it over to Todd and uh, and then to Josh to to see if they've seen this and because I have not. Um, if you had any thoughts on it, I have not seen it. Okay, how about you, Josh? I had it. Um, I and this one was out during that recession I got caught up in, so I ended up seeing a lot of movies that I wouldn't necessarily have thought I'd get a ticket to. Just because I had to be near where a job interview was going to happen. So it was sort of being on call to do sort of thing. So I ended up seeing a lot of matinees. And I saw this one. I didn't realize it that Alex Garland was involved in when I bought the ticket. Um, I don't remember liking it as much as John did. I think I liked the ideas that it was playing with and, and sort of the world that it was building. And just maybe the way that it came about it or the the angle that they told the story from wasn't necessarily the most effective way to explore those ideas for or for me to receive those ideas. I think it was a well-made film that just was sort of didn't play to what I want to see or what I expect to see when I go to see a sort of thought-provoking science fiction film. So I think like what I was looking for was out of alignment with what it was. But that's more about me than it is about the film. 
It, uh, well, hopefully I don't die out again here, but, uh, well, it has a, it has a spectacular cast. It's directed by Mark Romanek, who's not, who's mostly known for directing music videos. He did, um, a pretty disturbing movie with Robin Williams called One Hour Photo. Um, right. His visuals of, are just, are just uncanny. But it stars Carrie Mulligan, Andrew Garfield, Karen Knightley, and I, I swear I will watch anything with Carrie Mulligan in it. Um, I understand that people don't get it or it's like it's not showing the things I want to see. You know, it's not showing the part of the story I want to see, but this is what the story is. And I will just say this movie, I mean, to me, this is like the definition of what movies are about. That just, it it blows my mind, this movie. And I'm, I'm, it's too bad that not that many people seem to, Seem to agree with to that. No, see, I I feel I feel almost because my reaction was what it was that I want to see it again because a lot of movies considered to be my favorite movies. A lot of music that I can favorite music is stuff that actually grabbed me in that way the first time that I had a fight for that it had to make an argument that that it won. So it, it feels like this is a movie that if I I had the time to give it another shot that I might have a different reaction the second time around, but I agree with you. It's gutting. Like, I, I mean, it, you know, it, 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 it's another, it, it, it's a brutal movie thematically to kind of come out, out, out at the other. Right. And it, if I was to compare it to a movie, I would say people who like, um, Danny Villeneuve's movie arrival, which I also just absolutely love. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll like this like quite a bit. Well, I loved Arrival, so that that sounds incredible to me. But I, what I was going to say about this and and the movie that 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 I loved that I'd never want to see again is uh, Requiem for a Dream, and I always get it confused <laughs> with uh, what dreams may come, um, which is also awesome in my yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but he, here's my question: I think that a movie that is shocking can be beloved. The example I would use there is. Um, the Sixth Sense, um, but can a depressing movie be beloved? And I guess the only example I can think of there would, might be something like Mommy Dearest. Well, and I've seen Mommy Dearest, and it, it, you know, I think of, we say Mommy Dearest, I, the first movie that popped into my mind is Whiplash from, I don't know what, five years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of just, you know, a completely psychopathic, abusive person who just, shatters everyone that gets in into their into their orbit yeah and again i bring it back to like the billionaire mindset that driven mindset that you know it's my way or you know i will you know i will take you down if i have to get in my way right and so yeah I, i i like that example that's terrific so this is this is more like i would say the theme on this is maybe a little bit well i won't get ahead of it like I said, it just after I, I recommended this to someone and and her response was, if this really happened, there would be rioting in the streets. And my my uh, answer was kind of like, oh, really, is this any worse than what, you know, humanity has already done repeatedly to its to to its other members and is doing today? Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Anything else to add on that? Or Josh, did you have any final thoughts since you saw it? 
Yeah, I was just going to say, I agree with John. You know, I hate to be the cynical one, though. No, I, I guess I probably don't. Act. It would be disingenuous for me to say that I hate being the cynical one. Sometimes I enjoy it. Um, but I, I agree there would not necessarily be riots in the street. And it's difficult to sort of get into why without discussing the thing of it. But the thing of it is, it sort of it sort of happens in a non-science fiction way today that that, you know, anything is available for sale. If you're in a position to pay for it and things have to come from somewhere. So, well, that's very mysterious. You know, that that's sort of the, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I want to thing like, Sam, if you decide this is too far, can you cut this out or should I just keep my mouth shut? Oh, no, uh, let, let's go with it. I was just going to say, like, you know, people like, you know, Steve Jobs needed a new Steve Jobs needed a new liver and he got one. Right. You know, because so, he had the resources to make it happen. But what, do, right, what does that mean? I had the resources to make that happen. You're talking about something that can only grow in another human being mm -hmm. that another human being can't live without. So what yeah. does that actually mean? <laughs> yeah. So when we say things like the public wouldn't stand for this if it wouldn't happen, if this movie happened, yeah. it really depends on who it's happening to and who is benefiting from determine. Mm -hmm. Are, are, what the reaction was going to. So you, I, I'm with John. You tell me if I need to cut this out. Are we talking like a Gattaca situation? There's, there's philosophically, I mean, not literally, but yeah, philosophically, there's, there's kind of a similarity. It's just worse. Okay. Well, now <laughs> the I'm consequences not, of it are, are really okay. So we're not cutting anything because I'm super intrigued at that answer. So apologies to if anybody who's at that. Say, I feel like I knew that going into the movie from from the trailer that I might have seen. So I, I don't think I'm killing it for anyone. So my main recommendation is anybody wants to, to watch it. Don't read anything about it. There's there's something you're you're not supposed to know what's going on. And you find that it doesn't take long. You find out about 20 minutes in. And it's just one of those things that you can't go back. Give yourself that discovery of, oh, that's what this is. Okay, so I'm going to insert this maybe three minutes earlier. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I don't think we spoiled anything because I haven't seen it, but but hopefully uh, nobody takes it too uh, seriously. Jo um, John, yeah. John you, you've definitely got my, uh, my interest raised. So, uh, congratulations on that. So I think that's everybody with two. Is that right? Actually, I guess I've done three, so I think we better take our luck, you know, while we okay. have it. You guys can finish your last one. All right. Why don't you jump back in, uh, Josh, and tell us your third one. My third one, um, Tomorrowland, which uh, Brad Bird directed for Disney, and it came out in 2000. And I don't think it's a perfect movie, and I think they absolutely bungled the marketing on it completely, which made it be something that people didn't go out to see because essentially they were the, the marketing was, we're making a really cool movie. It's such a secret that we can't tell you anything about it, but you should come and buy a ticket, which that didn't really work too well for him. And it was almost they were being so secretive about what it was about that in the way that the movie's kind of structured, they bury the lead. And it, it's really a movie about optimism and then to um, the need to not give in to spare. And I, I think that there's something really interesting, uh, a point that that's made in the film that 
you know, are we as a culture right now what we are because so much of what we what we consume as a culture is about apocalypses and about boom and about, you know, that, that this is falling apart. This is bad. This is the end of the world. Even when it's in a light, entertaining context, like, you know, the Avengers movies, it's still always something really bad is about to happen. You know, we need to be saved. Things are terrible. And, you know, so sort of the core thesis of the film ends up being, you know, are we have we put ourselves in feedback loop where we expect the world to end and and that expectation of it is what brings it on and conversely if if you know if believing that the worst is going to happen brings that upon if we expect something better from ourselves and from others if we if we can embrace optimism and and be a, you know if we be unafraid of of having our feelings hurt and and being vulnerable in that way to be open to expecting something more. Is it possible that there might be? And, and so I, I think it's a, a film that isn't perfectly executed, but it has an idea so compelling that it makes the clumsiness of some of it irrelevant to the uplift that it carries. I really like it. I enjoy that movie. Okay. Have you seen it, Todd? Uh, yes, I have. Um, when it finally uh, arrived on Disney Plus, and um, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, I think I agree with 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 Josh. The um, the marketing was horrible on that movie. I think people thought it was a movie, another Disney movie about not not necessarily a a a, a, a ride, but an entire land at a theme park. Gotcha. I'm sorry about my phone in the background. No, no worries. So that's three people who've seen it and like it. John, while we still have you live, why don't you tell us a little bit about why you liked it and what you what you agree with Josh on? It just well, I think like Josh said, it it just it's sort of optimistic. It's sort of silly, um, silly, um, what to say, almost apple pie innocent, you know, in its in its uh, optimism and the combination of George Clooney and uh, Britt Robertson. Yeah, she's just she's she's got to be about you may not know her she's not in a lot of really big stuff but she's got to be about the most bubbly presence scene in a movie and it it just it's a nice it's a nice little break from you know the hard world <laughs> gotcha Any, anything else you can add to that todd um sorry i had to step away there and so um but uh i like the cast mm -hmm. <laughs> All right, well, let me ask you this, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll point this at Josh, and you guys can throw in any. I seem to recall, I, I haven't seen it, but I seem to recall this being used as like an early Atmos demo. And the one thing that I remember about it is that it's got kind of like this, um, you know, it's the, the meme of like the chosen youngster will, you know, will lead, lead us out of, um, you know, our, our despair. And it, I, I seem to recall, almost like an electric laser shootout that that kind of kicks off the things. Am I, am I remembering the right movie? Um, I think there's something with some shootout. I think like that there's one person that can save us. Um, it's not that specific, but maybe the marketing kind of put it in that way because I think ultimately the kind of thing about the movie is that it's meant to be empowering to everyone that. We all matter in a way that either none of this matters or it all matters. Don't you want to be in the, the world, you know, don't you want to live the life where it all matters? Um, so it's sort of like, I don't think you knew how to market it. So it went from it's a secret to, you know, one of those 
one person will find the way and it's really neither of those things but yeah i think there's some being shot at in the toy store with a uh, key and michael key and and probably some good atmos there oh that's all you had to say was keegan michael key I, i'm i'm in and i'm if it's on uh, Disney Plus, I'm gonna have to pull that ashore. Sure, and Clooney gets to do a grumpy performance, and I love grumpy Clooney. So, oh yeah, yeah, concur. You know, grumpy Clooney is uh, is always a great one. I'm trying to think of um, Hugh Laurie too. Hugh Laurie yeah. gets to be in there very grumpy. So, well, I mean, what's Hugh, better than Doctor House doing House? Yeah, I mean, uh, Hugh Laurie's always grumpy. All right, anything else to add on it, Josh? Oh, um, I mean, I, I, I think, I think it, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but again. If we lose sight, you know, it's another one of those things that it's like you can shut yourself off from missing so many good movies if you aspire to perfection. And I think sometimes I know I fall into that trap in this hobbyist that it's like you want to watch the best of everything. And sometimes you lose sight of like just watch a movie, any movie and find something (laughs) to like about it. And and this one I ended up just kind of seeing on a on a kind of nothing day. And I just walked out of the theater feeling better than when I walked in. And, you know, sometimes that's enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, escapism is real, man. I, I'm all for escape. Todd, what's your uh, final pick here? So my final film, and I've talked about this before on the show, uh, is 1991's Grand Canyon, directed by Lawrence Kasdan, written by Lawrence Kasdan and his wife, Meg Kasdan, uh, starring Kevin Klein, Danny Glover, Steve Martin, Mary Louise Parker, Alfre Woodard, Mary McDonald. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, it's an ensemble piece. Uh, it's about healing. Um, and I, I watched a little bit of it today to kind of remind, remind me about it. Um, so basically, um, Kevin Klein plays a lawyer and he is at a Lakers game with, with, uh, film producer, Steve Martin. Um, when he leaves the forum in Los Angeles, um, in Inglewood, he takes a wrong turn and his Lexus breaks down. Uh, I think it's his alternator goes out, which just happened to me. Um, during some trying to drive through some treacherous roads here in rural Nevada. Um, so that's scary in in and of itself. Uh, but he, he, his car breaks down in a very bad neighborhood of, of Los Angeles. And, uh, and some gang members are trying to rob him when, uh, Danny, the tow truck, tow truck driver, Danny Glover arrives and saves the day. And, um, it kind of goes on from there. He, he's basically trying, uh, so there's just a bunch of intertwined stories that go on. Um, Steve Martin gets shot uh, by a mugger. And it's, it sounds horrible, but it's, it's, it's really a movie, like I said, about healing. And I think it came out probably two to three years too early um, because there's a lot of stuff that happens in the movie that echoes what happened in L.A. during the uh, Rodney King riots. And I think it kind of got a bum rap. Um, the marketing was horrible. Uh, Fox tried to market it as, you know, the 90s version of the Big Chill, which it wasn't. Um, it was just another ensemble piece by by Lawrence Kasdan, who's really good at ensemble pieces. And I think it also got overshadowed by Robert Altman's other Robert Altman's uh, ensemble piece, uh, Shortcuts, which came out that same year. So it only got one Oscar nomination for screenplay and lost to uh, Thelma and Louise. All right. I mean, if you're going to lose, you might as well lose big. Uh, I, I remember this trailer, but and I also remember that uh, you talking about this film on the pod before, t- uh, Todd, and I did go and buy it on some service and still haven't watched it, so I'm, I, I need an ass kick. Um, John, have you seen this? Sorry, it took me a second. Um, you know, I saw this 
when it came out and I I can say that I just I don't think I was at age yet where I could really appreciate it so I probably need to revisit it how about you Josh if I did see it it's the same thing that I just don't really have a recall of it um I, I think I've seen I mean when Lawrence Kasdan game is on a movie it's usually something I want to go and see so I'm surprised that I'm bank, blanking on it but I used to work at a video store, and I, I, I've seen the VHS cover of it a thousand times. Uh, so it may be more familiar to me than I think it is, but I, I, I think in general you can't go wrong with a Lawrence Kasdan film. So, Todd, the movie that I was thinking of when, when you were describing this is called Judgment Night with Dennis Leary. Is it anything at all like that? Absolutely, absolutely not. Okay. It's it's got a very up this has got in this movie has a very uplifting ending. It's got a great score by uh, James Newton Howard James Newton Howard. Um it it's just a movie that got a bad rap, I think. Uh just poor marketing and uh, just overshadowed by another. Gotcha. Okay. Well, um, um I, it's a, it's also a film that's very hard to find. Is it not online? It's, I swear I bought it. It's not it's not available digitally. I've I have not been able to buy it digitally um huh. it was released on blu-ray it was licensed out to to anchor bay who released it on blu-ray and they only did one manufacturing run of it um you can find it on dvd but it's a really bad transfer i was really hoping when uh disney had that licensing deal with kino that this would be one of the films that they would release but they didn't um it, it desperately needs a new transfer it, it needs to be released on blu-ray if not 4k and it and needs to be uh, released on digital so um hopefully with uh their acquisition of hulu their the 100 percent acquisition of hulu which they uh disney did make the down payment friday the initial down payment to comcast on that so hopefully uh they'll they'll beef up their movies something like this well now now i'm curious which of your movies you recommended that i went out and bought because it was in the i'm pretty sure it was in the same episode where uh John had recommended a couple that I went out and bought. What John, what's the one with the, the by the pool side or something like that? that you oh, swimming pool. Swimming pool, yeah. So yeah. I I went out yeah. and bought like a half dozen different movies after doing that. Now I'm gonna have to figure out what what else you recommended, Todd, that I'm confusing it with. So apologies. Yeah, hey, I, I mentioned this before on the um Stranded on an Island show. Yeah, that's what that's what it was. Okay, cool. Uh, anybody else have anything to add on this one? Okay, I'm going to take us home with my final pick, which is Antebellum. Uh, have you seen this one, John? I, I had seen it once, and I had bought it, and I watched it last week. Um, really, sorry to get tongue-tied on it, but a an ambitious, very ambitious, purpose-driven, and almost incendiary movie. And yeah. um, the, a big again, it's something you can't really talk about. Sure. You know? I mean, um, let's let's just say, spoiler alert, that there is a big twist. Yeah, it's well, okay. It's it would be you might say it's kind of, but uh, um, has kind of a Shyamalan element to sure. it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the one thing that struck me the second time, I'm not sure so much the first time, was the bold, the the guts of of Jack Houston and uh, Jenna Malone, because they are the most despicable characters you'll probably ever see yep. in a movie in your lifetime. And, and I'm constantly impressed, especially with Jim Malone with the role she takes and man, she is, she is all in. Yep. Yeah. And the, the villains, uh, 
such as they are, um, are fully committed to it. And, and I respect that. Uh, I, 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 what, what is the, um, the Hitler movie that everybody makes the meme out of, um, you know, that, that guy, uh, just fully committed to not the Charlie Chaplin. No, 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 no. Um, Not, not the great dictator. No. Um, now it's going to talk about Riefenstahl. uh, No, 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 no. Um, hang on, hang on. I'll, I'll figure it out. Hang on. Um, downfall. The guy that plays Hitler in Downfall is fully committed to that and all in on, you know, all of his mannerisms as well as his actions. And I, I thought that the villains in um, Antebellum lived up to, to that kind of despicability. And it's got to well, be hard to do. They definitely come off as, like, true believers. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Josh, have you seen this one? Yeah, you know, I actually um, I actually rented it a couple weeks ago when we first started talking about doing this. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have time to get through everybody's thing on Everybody's One. And I got through exactly one, and it was yours. Oh, okay. What did you, <laughs> you think? Um, I'm going to say again with similar caveat to Never Let Me Go that it was sort of – this is probably more upon me as the viewer than the film itself. But I don't think I was in the right mood to be watching the movie when I did. So it was sort of – more of a chore to watch than than it should have been. And I think that's 100% on me and not that because it's sort of like when you watch enough movies, you sort of recognize when something's doing something well and you're just not receiving it right as opposed to them not having done it well. And I think it's sort of, it ticks all the boxes for inventive storytelling and, and sort of, so I really liked what it was doing more than I enjoy experience of watching that. But then again, how many people, you know, let's say, say, oh, I really had fun watching Schindler's <laughs> List, you know? Like it's just, sure, 12 Years a Slave, you know, the same kind of thing. It's not that kind of, on, the, on one hand, but on the other hand, movies that have twists and that you're kind of get the sense of, oh, maybe something isn't right here and I want yep. to try to figure it out. That is a fun element of watching movies. So it's yeah. sort of a jarring it's to watch something where something awful is happening and you're trying to figure out like is there some sort of a trick to this where it's okay that it's this awful and it can yes. be fun to watch or should i be horrified and not having any yeah. fun right now yeah i think you that... know and it you know like that tone kind of caught me where it was but i mean again it's the boldness of the filmmakers to dare to put the audience in a position to to be unsettled like that. Yeah, I think the term I used was cognitive dissonance, right? It's, yes, yes, yeah, 100%. It, that's, it, that's, that's the movie. It, it, it throws everything on its head and makes you question reality. Todd, have you had a chance to see it? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, well, we recommend it. At least I do. What, what do you think, John and Josh? Would you recommend somebody watch it? Josh, you said. I, and I didn't know I was in the wasn't in the mood for it, not having <laughs> known because it was like I ended up thinking that it was about one thing and it went to another. But it involved <laughs> both of them, so it wasn't that I was misinformed about the brutality of it. But I thought it had been a different context because I thought it was about a writer, a present day writer who was writing a story that took place mm-hmm. in this time. So then we're seeing like the book that she's writing, and yes. then flashing back to her writing it, and although there are sort of two different settings and periods, that's not it. So I was sort of for that. And then that did happen. Well, I will tell you guys that I screened this from multiple groups of family members and they hated. They were, they were I, not on board. The tw- 
I see, you know, if not a majority, a small majority, a significant minority of people, of Americans, hating this movie with fire. Yeah, and we're not going to use the W word, right? I'm not sure what the W word is, so I was perfect. Yeah. (laughs) I I think, though, that, you know, that's the thing is that sometimes we forget that if, you know, if, if, if it's a genuine, you know, hatred that it provokes as it opposed to, you know, oh, I'm not liking this because, you know, I've decided that I don't like the filmmakers, even though I haven't seen the film or something. That's one mm-hmm. thing. But if you watch it for something and you absolutely hate it, like that's still a valid response. And for a filmmaker to have provoked that much feeling in you yeah. is in, in some ways a win. Like I have this argument with my or conversation with my wife about the work of David Lynch all the time, where she's just like, I just don't like it. It made me feel uncomfortable. And, and I counter that with, and I mean, that's okay, but, that's part feeling uncomfortable is part of that art like that is yep. specifically made to ha- make you have that feeling and and what you feel about it is as important as what you think about it yeah it's the person I'm, who says I'm, I'm sorry john it's the person who says i hate it because it makes me uncomfortable and the other guys like i love it because it makes me uncomfortable. right and yeah. that's exactly it the people are hate a lot of people will hate it because it threatens them yes so the the w word is the woke word and 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 actually uh, oh, oh, yeah i know i know uh, we did remove a number of comments from my review of it where that was being thrown around it's a problem it's a problem so that's all i'm going to say all right anybody else got anything to add on this one i think we've uh we've uncovered some um a lot of movies for us to all kind of take a uh, a step back and go reevaluate or see you again for the first time. So I appreciate that. You guys have, I, I love talking movies, especially in, and, and almost more if I haven't seen it to, to hear what people are passionate about and what they love. And, and that, again, I, I throw it back to the uh, films to be buried with podcast. If you guys don't follow that, uh, it is just a treasure trove of recommendations that you may have seen, but didn't, you know, quite grasp what, what other people love about it and, and um, you know, get recommendations for films you haven't seen. Big thumbs up there. I will say, you know, my pleasant surprise on this was going back and, and watching um, Solo. Okay. Well, I will, I will review it again, too, because I, I liked it uh, when it came out. And, I, I you know, I understood the controversy even if I didn't agree with it. So good pick, Todd. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else have anything to add on on the films before we kick it over to GBU? Um, I guess I got to put aside a couple days to watch The Godfather Saga. Yes. And I'm going to recommend that you watch it in the original order and not the recut where they put it in sequential. Although I know a number of people have loved that. I'd be watching it on Paramount Plus, so they only have the theatrical cuts on there. Yeah, the, the actual movies, definitely. All right. Well, that brings us to... You're not going to make me sing, are you? All right, so I'm going to go first uh, because I am so late with this review that uh, I think the the, uh, studio had actually excitedly said, make sure you fill us in on when this comes out the day before uh, it hits street date, and I'm over three weeks late on that now, so apologies to Sony. Uh, But my pick is... uh, Gran Turismo, and it's not Gran Turismo, and it's not T-O-U-R-ismo, Gran Turismo. 
Has anybody seen this yet? Have not seen it. Just the trailer. I haven't seen it, but I'll... um, Have any of you played the video game or any of the video games that it's been? I have... uh, I think I... Yeah, I have it for PS3. Okay. John? I'm not allowed to think more advanced than a Super (laughs) Nintendo. Uh, How about you, John? Will will it play on my old Pong machine? It will not play on the Vectrex, I'm sorry, or the Telstar. Sorry, no... um, no, no video games. Sorry. Okay, so for those of you who have not seen it, um, this is a film that stars David Harbour, Orlando Bloom, and Archie Medeque. I'm pronouncing that right. It's based on a real story where Nissan or Nissan uh, brought uh, a a marketing executive had the great idea to find the best Gran Turismo racing drivers on the PlayStation platform and see if they their skills and their reactions could translate to um, actual driving in, in real races. And fortunately for them, that did happen. They did win real races. Are, I think even some of them are continuing. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's overall changed racing, uh, but it did give people pause and has uh, you know made a pretty compelling story. All right, so I'm going to kick it over to uh, Todd first. Todd, do you think I thought this was good, bad, or other? I'll go last. Okay. How about you, uh, Josh? I'm going to say it just squeaked by as being... Okay, John? I guess I'll go with bad. Okay. Todd, I love it. We've got controversy already. Um, I'm going to cheat and say you, you think it's somewhere between good and bad. Uh, because this was on the last podcast. Oh, did we talk about Gran Turismo? On on the Black Friday show, yeah. Oh, jeez. Oh, man. Hmm. So uh, we can tell oh. who's listened to the podcast before, and it wasn't me. <laughs> wow. Should I pick another one? Oops. Oops. Nah, we're, nah, gonna, we're, we're, we're running long. We're, we're running gonna... long, Sam. So, so. Okay, so uh, I did think that it was just barely good. So, um... So we'll, we'll, we'll end it there isn't, and I'll... Isn't that what I guessed? I said yes. I bet it just squeaked just by as good. So that, you must yeah, listen to the podcast. Don't pick another one. I got it right. Yes. You, 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 you get a point, Josh. <laughs> and Todd, who actually saw listened to the podcast, uh, either missed it or I've changed my answer. I don't know which. <laughs> we were both on the podcast. Yeah. What did what did I say then? It, it was the black. It was the. You, that's what, exactly what you said. It, it was, was somewhere between because we good both and had good. movies that were somewhere between good mm. and bad. We were like they they're uh, uh, yeah they're. Well, maybe it's grown on me because I watched the extras in between Todd. So I'll I'll, I'll take a mulligan on this one. <laughs> All right, Todd, you go ahead with yours, and if you do a repeat, I'll okay. call you out on it. No, no, I won't do Equalizer three again. <laughs> uh, so my choice was. Uh, my my film is The Creator. Ooh, I saw this in theaters. From the director of Rogue One, mm-hmm. uh, Gareth Edwards. Yep. Uh, it's where uh, humans uh, are in a war with robots uh, powered by artificial intelligence. Okay, John, have you seen this? Um, no, I haven't. Seen it. Okay. I, I'm I I want to because it it's very divisive. People mm-hmm. kind of love it or hate it. Okay. Uh, do we want to get your pin first or see if John uh, Josh is? I'll, I'll go i'll go ahead i i'm i'm gonna guess todd thought it was bad maybe even ugly but i'm gonna go with bad okay josh what do you think um i haven't seen it but i i sort of feel that gareth edwards tends to over promise and under deliver 
So I'm going to say that it kind of like the opposite of yours, that it came in as bad, but not tragic. Just like, ah, you should have been better. All right. I did see this in theaters in IMAX. I'm pretty sure it was IMAX and not um, Dolby Cinema. It was one of the two for sure. Um, And I came away uh, middling to bad. But having said that, I think Todd saw this in a well-calibrated home theater. And he, I think if I remember right, he um, liked things like Steven Spielberg's AI. And I think he's going to believe he's going to rate it as just barely hitting good. What do you think, Todd? Yeah, I think you're right there, Sam. Um, it's a beautiful looking movie. It would have looked really weird in IMAX because it was shot in 2.76 to 1. Um, which okay, is a so very odd aspect ratio. Yeah, it must have been Dolby um, then. Must have been Dolby Cinema um, or some premium format. Uh, but th- the story just never really grabbed me. Uh, I-, I was like, eh. Um, and, and, I watched it with my wife. She she knew exactly how it was going to end in the first five minutes. So, so it could have been some, somewhere between good and bad. Yeah, uh, leaning more towards bad. It's a it's a wonderful looking film, wonderful sounding film. So if you want something to show off your yeah. your home theater, um, yeah, but yeah. it the story just wasn't there for me. I, I I think it falls into the same category as a lot of modern science fiction in that they think they're more clever than they are. They think they have something interesting to say, but never really get it out there. And the movie I'm thinking most closely on that is Ad Astra. Um, That's funny because that is my pick. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what my, my guess is going to be there. I think you're going to think it was bad. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but um, I mean, we, 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 you know, we're, 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 overflowing with terrific science fiction these days and when things just don't live up to it i think they look worse by comparison so that's where i think we're going anybody else have uh anything to add to on the creator whether they were surprised with todd's this no that's i haven't seen it but that's what i expect from it and yet i still want yeah i, I still will see it yep and i'm gonna get a copy for the home too when it hits that 20 dollar range or less N- not at not at full all right. Uh, who's up next? Want to go with Ad Astra? I say it's bad. Sure. Bad. Yeah, let's do it. Bad. But you tell us what, uh, give us the, the elevator pitch on it. All right. Uh, Brad Pitt stars in this uh, space movie where he's uh, uh, one of the greatest astronauts we have. Um, and he's the son of a legendary astronaut um, who disappeared on a mission many years ago. And now, like, uh, the, the Black Ops division of NASA needs him to kind of go and figure out why his dad disappeared and what he's up to um sort of but it's it's sort of so apocalypse now in space with a little bit of like that sort of like sunshine aesthetic to it okay that's fair i think that's probably uh the the best description i've heard of it that was the main when you said at astra i thought my kind of my impression of at astra and and, uh, sunshine are kind of similar like Maybe a big part of it is that they just do not go where you would ever expect. Todd, any thoughts on Ed Astra? Have you seen it? Um, I have not seen it, but I remember everyone uh, confusing it with Ed Asner. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <It> came out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I'm going to say bad. For the record, Ed Astra is Latin for what, uh, Josh? To the stars. To the stars. All right. Give, give my us... high school Latin coming into, coming there you into go. use. 
I desperately wanted to take Latin in high school, and my parents me take French forever, right? Not doing. At least there are places you can go and speak French. Yeah. I, I took Latin because I was a poor foreign language, so I thought the one that I didn't have to speak might be the one that I could pass. How'd that work out for you? I passed. All right. Well, I I got continuous C's in French because I was not in. I think oh, passing I think, grade, man. Yeah, you get to C's, graduate. Sit, C's get degrees. All right. Good, bad, or ugly, Josh. Um. You know, it really depends on my mood. So it's sort of a trick, a trick selection. I think it's sort of a bad movie with good intentions that I enjoy despite its failures that I can't really recommend it, but that that I find that speaks to me that's useful. Okay, you so know so what it's I, I like it for what it's trying to more than what it actually does. So it's probably a bad movie that I enjoy versus a good movie. Okay, so you've seen it multiple times. Does it get better or worse with multiple viewing? It, it's sort of the first time I saw it in theaters, and I was severely underwhelmed. And then I went and watched it um, on HBO Max, I think. And I was like, oh, wow, this was awesome. I loved it. So then I went and bought the, the disc because I was like, I loved it that time. And then I went and watched that, and I was like, oh, so we'll see what happens the next time I watch it. All right. All right. it, it's 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 really more of a vibe story movie. So it's like if you're watching and you like feel the vibe, go with it. And if you're like watching your 10 minutes in and you're like, this is interminable, shut it off because it's not going to get any more to your mm, liking. I will endorse that that take on. All right, John, bring us home. What's what's your choice? OK, my GBU is the Peter Jackson produced, you know, universally adored answer to Waterworld. Um, mortal engines. Okay, I have seen this both in the theater and home, but go ahead and give us the elevator pitch. Okay, well, it's well, it really it's like Waterworld Unlay. Um, it's a you know dystopian kind of Earth has been destroyed world where <laughs> cities are like enormous vehicles just traversing you know the dead soil, stealing from each other. Uh, I guess I, I, that's pretty much the synopsis, I guess. Okay, and to be fair, they stole this idea from Monty Python, right? <laughs> I, it's, is it, was it, I can't remember if there was something like this in Monty the, Python. Yeah, it's something the Indemnity Company, Monty Python, were build, uh, where um, business people are in skyscrapers that fight each other. Well, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. That's true. So, that's you know. true. All right, Todd, have you seen this one? Uh, yes, I actually reviewed it uh, way back when it came out on Blu-ray. And what, what did your review um, score it? Uh, good performances, uh, good effects, um, but it kind of just missed the mark. Kind of a, It's one of those um, could have been a franchise because there were a series of books that it was based on. Yeah, so I, um, go ahead, Josh, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts. Yeah, I didn't see this one. I saw the trailer to it, and it looked sort of marginally. Maybe it'd be something for me because I tend to be more space science fiction than dystopian Earth science fiction. And then it was just one of those things where that trailer played before everything. And I saw it so many times that I was just like, I've lost him, so I never actually got around to it. Okay, so this one ranks up there with Alita, Battle Angel, or something like that. That has a terrific premise, has great audiovisual qualities, but the story just goes nowhere. So I'm going to vote ugly on this one. Um, I don't know if I actually got a good, bad, or ugly from either of you guys. So, Todd, what do you think, good, bad, or ugly? Uh, I'm going to say 
bad. Okay, and Josh? I would also say bad. All right, so that's two bads and an ugly, John. So if you like this one, um, well, you can't be on the show again. <laughs> okay. Um, well, you know, it's just mind-numbingly absurd, yep. the story. And Hugo Weaving is the most caricaturish, spitting, just paragon of evil, just campy, over-the-top Um and did I mention that it is the most inane idea? <laughs> like I said, and the guy I from my absolutely Python. freaking love it. Oh no! Womp womp. Why do you love I it, John? I laugh. I just sit and laugh <laughs> at this movie. It is so outrageous. It just all I can do is just love it. Okay. I, you know, that's what makes Home Theater Forum great and, and by association or united, that we can agree that um, there's something to love in, in every movie. Todd, Josh, any well, reaction here? Well, and I, I wanted to I wanted to counter kind of the heaviness of, like, never let me go. <laughs> I wanted to show that I can just freaking roll to the most absurd movie. Okay. You, you, you contain multitudes, John. Yeehaw. Todd, Josh, any reaction? I'm kind of surprised because I thought it was uh, I thought it was overstuffed with plot. Oh, the I thought second... it, I thought it was understuffed with plot. <laughs> okay, well, you know, I, I thought there was just too much stuff going on. Mm. In the well, two, that's, with it for a two-hour movie. That's another kind of just the absurdity of it is they they try they try to put gravity into it and you know like human condition and meaningless meaning mean meaningfulness. And it's just not the right vehicle, pun intended. Womp, womp. What were womp, you womp. saying? What were you saying, Josh? Take us out uh, with it. I, I think I was going to say that that after I, I said that I thought it was bad, I said, you know what? Wait a second. I'm I'm overthinking this. This is this is John's popcorn move. He's good. Yep. He, he he liked it. Like, yeah. I, I, I I psyched myself out. Yep. I me me too. I I should have seen it coming, but we didn't. Well, you know what that means. This has been it. Probably one of our longest shows uh, in a long time. But I can't thank you guys enough for coming back. I want all of our, um, all the folks who uh, pulled down this uh, to go grab Todd's uh, over on YouTube. Todd, are, are you uh, syndicated anywhere else besides the YouTube? Uh, not yet. Um, I'm thinking I may uh, reach out to Spotify, branch out to Spotify, because they do video podcasts now as well. Okay. Um, or they'll, or you can just easily send it to them, and they strip the video. I'm, I'm not, I have to look into that, but um, probably just, uh, just YouTube at the, at the moment. Gotcha. Well, YouTube has certainly got the biggest reach out there, and it is the, the one place where we are not found. So, um, you know, maybe we'll have to figure that out. Pod, Podbean's our host. They send it to a bunch of different places simultaneously, but because we don't have any video, we, we, we never get out, out there on, on those. Wishing you all the best of luck, and I thank you all very much. I want everybody to have a terrific Christmas, Boxing Day, and New Year's. And there is going to be one more show if things go right before the New Year's. So keep your eyes out for that. It'll be the triumphant return of uh, Brian Dobbs, and uh, can't wait to get him back on the show. Any final words from anybody? Oh, Todd, I didn't ask. How would your Black Friday go? Um, It went fine i mean uh my sister bought it uh a nice uh 55 inch lg at best buy so she went from an hd to a 4k but nice. uh, 
Um, uh, oh, I took advantage of the Chewy offer. <laughs> oh, nice, 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 <laughs> so I, nice. Uh, got thirty uh, percent off on some cat litter, but uh, no, kind of a just a eh. Okay. Didn't do much. Well, no, I take that back. I picked up a year of Peacock for nineteen ninety. Sweet. And I did take your recommendation and bought one of your recommended LG sets for my folks. Not not OLED though. And it fit and uh, looked good. Oh, it looks fantastic. It's too big for their room, according to them. And then two days later, they said, oh, we've gotten used to it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Anybody? You know, when, I, when, I was, when I was selling TVs, the number one, number one reason for TVs getting returned wasn't that they were too big. It was too small. Too small. I believe it. Anybody have anything else they want to promote or say? Otherwise, we are out of here. John? It's, just been, it's been fun. It's great having you guys back. How about you, Josh? Oh, man, thanks for having me. This was so great. Awesome to have you back. We will see you all next year. Uh, like I said, we've got one more show and then CES first week in January. And I could not be more excited except if I was going, which I'm not. I miss one more year. But uh, looking forward to seeing all the fun uh, new reviews from the Flat Panel Mafia. Shout out to FOMO and Brian and um, you know all the guys that have been here before. Uh, including uh, KG, and, uh, you know, look forward to seeing what they think about all the new stuff coming out. So everybody have a great, happy holidays. Uh, we'll see you one more time before then, and we'll be back in full force next year. Got a whole bunch of shows lined up, ideas, and I appreciate John kicking off this idea. And, Todd, uh, I know you've got ideas for us, but best wishes with your show, too. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Talk to you soon. Later. Good night.